It's so good to see you this morning. And it's, uh, it's amazing to have been here 20 years. Janet and I have lived in two houses here in New Orleans longer than I've lived anywhere else on the planet. And uh, I've never been anywhere for 20 years, obviously, in one place. But uh, I read uh, the quote from a famous runner, uh, Emil Zadepec, who won the 5,000 meter, the 10,000 meter, and the marathon in the 1952 Helsinki Olympics. And that trifecta has never been duplicated. Some people think he's the greatest runner of all time. They asked him about running the mile, and he said, if you want to run, run a mile. If you want to have a different life, run a marathon. I feel like I've run a marathon here. I used to be a miler. And it has indeed changed my life and maybe yours as well over these 20 years. So God's been so good. You know, this also is the 12th anniversary of moving into this facility. We moved in 12 years ago, just 14 months before Hurricane Katrina came and devastated our city. Uh, after Hurricane Katrina, Andrew Crosby, my nephew, came to go to work for us. He's been working in our ministry here at First Baptist for 10 years. Where are you, Andrew? There's Andrew right there. When you see Latroy Womack and Diane Villamoret, they have also been part of this staff for 10 years, so I'm very grateful for them. Grateful for Jack Hunter, who was the chairman of the Pastor Search Committee, that uh, talked to me 21 years ago. Uh, Barry Ash was also on that committee. He's here somewhere. Wanda Gregg was on that committee. Uh, Sarah Wilkinson was on that committee. Uh, of course, 20 years, there's lots of changes. I'm grateful for that uh, committee and the way he, they prayed and sought the will of God. And Jack, I believe that you were... Uh, right as a committee and that God had indeed uh, called me to be part of this uh, congregation here and a pastor in New Orleans and I believe that it has maximized all that God intended to do through me. I have no regrets about coming here and staying here for these 20 years. God is good. And uh, when I came I had uh, difficulty understanding what God was up to. So I want to read the text that became a living text for me as I prayed about and thought about coming here. It is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18, where Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. 
But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me, the apostle says. Well, I had bought 41 acres in central Texas and I... Uh, Janet and I designed a home. I was a general contractor, and we built a home, a new home, on those 41 acres on the high point. There was a stock tank back behind us that we could see from our backyard. It was rimmed with a creek that went across the north side and down the east side. And I thought, you know, this is pretty close to paradise. And four months after we moved in, this committee called me. (laughs) And I could not believe that God wanted me to move from First Baptist Temple and the black land east of Temple, Texas. And uh, it took some convincing for us to even have a conversation with the committee. And finally, Janet said, you know, I've prayed about this. I think we need to talk to them. And so we did. And uh, they asked us to come down and look at the work. So we came down to downtown New Orleans. They put us up in a hotel down there. And... uh, I've been a stargazer since I was a boy, all right? You all know this about me. Out my bedroom window looking to the east over the Franklin Mountains that come into the city of El Paso, I could see the constellation Orion's Belt when I was going to sleep. And those three stars in a row were over that mountain. And I loved to look out there and watch the mountains. And I did so in El Paso many days as a boy. And when I walked out in the black land in central Texas where we built our home, I always put my chin up and looked up at the stars. There were no natu- uh, artificial lights to drown out those stars, and I loved to see the stars walking out my front door. So I got on the balcony at 4 o'clock in the morning in this hotel downtown, and I started looking for stars. And I couldn't see a single star. There were no stars in New Orleans that night. And then my eyes dropped to the artificial lights that started at my feet and went all the way as far as the eye could see. And God did say to me, these are your stars now. I want you to come to New Orleans and help God's people shine like stars as they hold forth the word of life. That was my call. My call to come to this city, to come to this church, to help God's people shine brighter with the light of the gospel and the glow of the love of God, that was my call. And I entered into this community of faith that has been here for many, many years, realizing that a church that began in 1843 had a long history of being lights in the city and that I was coming to be a part of that continuum. As I ran around this city all these years, I became acquainted with the, with the notion of the continuum of care. And there is a continuum of care that First Baptist New Orleans has given to this city where we are planted for almost 175 years. When our city celebrates 300 years, our church will celebrate 175 years. That's in the year 2018. And there were people all along the way who have given much in the sharing of the gospel and the spreading of the light 
of the gospel. The second pastor of this church wanted to stay in the harness even though yellow fever was decimating the population of this area. And they urged him to leave so he could preserve his life. And he told his congregation and those who urged him to leave that he was going to stay through the medical crisis. And the second pastor of the church contracted yellow fever and died, staying on the watch here. We've done a lot of things through these 20 years, but back during the Civil War, this congregation surrendered its facilities and they were turned into a hospital for those who were injured during that war. So there's been a long, caring history here. And I knew I was going to be a small part of that story of God's work of grace in this city through this congregation. I came so that we might turn up the light. I've always felt that the church of Jesus Christ was to be a light in its community and that that was the main metaphor used in the Bible to describe how a Christian is to live in his city, in his community, and in his culture. We are to be light. That's why Jesus said, you're the light of the world to Peter and Andrew and James and John. You're the light of the world. And he says it to us. He says, put the light on the lampstand. I wanted to talk to you a little bit this morning, kind of in summation about how we are lights shining in the universe and how we can continue to do that and be even more effective, more brilliant in the light that shines through us. And the first thing is, we shine like stars in the universe when we care for one another. Now, I already knew this congregation cared for each other. It was a wonderful fellowship into which Janet and I came as new pastor and wife. And you have created friendships in this body that have been sustained for many years. And they are very valuable to you. And people come and they have reunions here. And they are celebrating the times that they've been together in this family of faith through the years and the way they cared for one another. But I tell you, we shine brightly. We shine like stars in the universe when we care for one another. There's a doctrine of one another in the Bible. Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you. What? Love one another as I have loved you, so you should love one another. The apostle Peter wrote to the church and he said, we must love each other deeply from the heart. The instruction of the scripture is to love each other, to love one another, to love the brothers and sisters more and more. So I want you to think for a moment, just pause for a moment, and think how you can deepen your love for others in the body, in the family of faith. How can you love more richly, more deeply, how can you demonstrate that love more than you've been doing? You are not, you and I, we are not at the maximum level 
of our love. We know that. And so the instruction of Scripture is love more. Love each other more. We will shine brightly in the universe as we love each other more. I hope you're not trying to be the Lone Ranger as a believer. Some people try that. They try to stay anonymous where nobody knows their name in the church and they have no connections in the church, therefore no responsibilities in the church, yes, and no opportunities either. If you don't feel particularly connected to the family of faith, to the brothers and sisters, I am urging you, admonishing you, get connected. Know the names of your brothers and sisters. Love more than you've been loving. Care for one another more deeply than you've been caring. In your small groups, many of you are part of a small group. I urge you to love each other in practical ways. To do it better than you've done it in the past. To put it on the highest plane, on the best shelf that you can put it. Love one another deeply, passionately as brothers and sisters in the body. Love each other through your giving to this body, both your time and your money. Love each other through those gifts, through those resources that you put into this body. See that gift that you give of time and money as a way of loving the brothers and sisters in the body. Care for one another. And you shine like stars in the universe so that the outsiders look on and say, behold, how they love one another. It's amazing. If you will love like this, it will change you on the inside. And many of the things that you long for and desire in your life, the peace and joy and the contentment and satisfaction in life that you really want to see are only delivered to you as you love one another. The greatest electricity of life happens not simply on the inside of you, but in your connection with people. There's an arc of electricity that takes place as you reach out and care for another person. And that's the dynamic of life. It energizes and enriches every life. So love one another. In fact, Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. See that you love one another. And he illustrated and demonstrated that love when he washed the disciples' feet. So if this sounds theoretical and ethereal to you and you're trying to put a handle on what it means to love one another, I suggest that you see Jesus taking the towel and washing Peter's feet and know that this is love. It is love in action, it is love for one another, and it is what he is challenging you to do, to be a servant in the body, to serve each other. This is the maximum life. This is the great opportunity to love each other as Christ has loved us. Care for one another, and you'll shine like stars in the universe. Care for your neighbor and you'll shine like stars in the universe. Care for your neighbor. Jesus said it's the summation of the law and the prophets. The expert said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you got a Bible, what does it say? He came up with a great command. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, do this and you will, 
You will live, brother. You love God, you love your neighbor, and you will live. You will really live. You're going to have a great life. It'll be a wonderful life. You will live if you do these things. But the man, the man was convicted even as he spoke the words. And wanting to justify himself, he asked a question, not about the first one, love of God, but about the second one, love of neighbor. He asked the question, who is my neighbor? It's an overwhelming thought, isn't it? All these hundreds of thousands of people around us, so many of them in need. In fact, when we think about our own needs and the needs in our families and the sicknesses that prevail in our land, we wonder how in the world can we help? Who is my neighbor? The, the world is full of need and everybody needs help. So what am I supposed to do? How can I be part of this? Who is my neighbor? It seems overwhelming. If we suppose that we have to select a person but what we can know from the story is that your neighbor is somebody who is providentially put in your life. So God chooses your neighbor. You don't have to. You don't have to be worried so much about who is my neighbor. You just have to keep your eyes open. As you travel life's journey, as you go on your way, you're going to see people in need that you can help. And that, my friend, is your neighbor. God will prompt you, the Holy Spirit will direct you, and you will know who your neighbor is. In fact, as I, as I speak these things, there are probably people coming to mind. And you are thinking, you know, I need to reach out to that person. He's been hurting, and I haven't said anything. She's been in trouble, and I haven't reached out. I need to do that. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit begins to stir in us this love of neighbor. Oh, I hope that you don't think this is just platitudes. That's just, just this religious talk. Love of neighbor is the core of the gospel. It's the summation of all the law and the prophets. The apostle Paul brings it up when he talks about our responsibilities and opportunities. And he says, love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love of neighbor is the fulfillment of the law. In all respects, in every respect, does this feel like a big and heavy book with lots of words in it and it's intimidating to you and you're not sure about how you ought to start and where you ought to start and how you're ever going to keep all these things in it? Well, look, there's a summation. The summation of the law and the prophets is love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor, you will shine like stars in the universe. When you love your neighbor, when you care for those in need, you light up a light in the city of New Orleans. And we need light here. The job is not done. One of the teenagers we've been reaching out to for years is laying in University Medical Center right now, having been shot this week in his neighborhood. He's been in these pews week after week and year after year. But the knowledge that someone's been shot in our city is not a word that says, see, it doesn't matter what you do. It's a word that says we've got to have an urgency about our care of one another and our care of our neighbor. We've got to stay at the task because there's so much work that needs done and there's such a light that needs turned on in this community. Loving your neighbor is not just about, though, the good deeds you do. 
Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And people don't always connect your good works to the Father in heaven, right? So sometimes you get all the glory for the good things you do because you never say a word about how you were a miserable sinner till Jesus found you and saved you and forgave you and cleaned you up and gave you a calling in your world to help your neighbor and love your neighbor. You've got to use words to shed light on your works. And so we are seeking to hardwire the words of the gospel with the deeds of the gospel. We don't ever want to separate these two or suppose that they exist in different universes or in different people or in different congregations. Always they go together. They are two sides of the same coin. We proclaim the gospel and we incarnate the gospel. And the behavior which we have in loving our neighbor is the greatest apologetic for the word which we speak. It is the authentication of the word which we speak. So you need to authenticate the words you're telling your kids and your grandkids. You cannot tell them, do what I say, not what I do, because they're going to do what you do. So your behavior's got to back up your words. And the same is true with the good news of Jesus Christ. We believe God sent his one and only son, that he bore our sin when he died upon the cross, that he rose again from the dead. This light needs spread so that people will understand the good works we do are, are because Jesus has saved us. See, over and over again in the Upper Ninth Ward, when we dedicated homes and we built 91 of them in our partnership with Habitat, I'd stand on the porch with the, with the family and friends and the workers gathered there, and I'd say, let me tell you why we are here helping. We're here because we follow Jesus. Jesus is Lord. He's taught us to love our neighbor. That's why we're here. We're here to exalt the Savior who has given us new life. So loving our neighbor is both doing the deed, caring for the one who is hurting, and it is speaking the word that illuminates the nature of our compassion, the nature of our care. I heard a preacher this week talking about the Good Samaritan. I made a note when he said, lots of people have concern, but they don't do anything. Lots of people have compassion, but they don't do anything. The Good Samaritan didn't just have concern and compassion. He had care. And he cared for the man in the ditch. And this preacher, not knowing anything about me or the care effect, selected the word care to describe what the Good Samaritan did. And so we have the care effect here at First Baptist. Caring for another person has an effect. And its most predictable effect is upon you. If you will leave this room with a resolve to live out love of neighbor, to keep your eyes open for those in need, the life most profoundly affected will be yours. For this is the richness and electricity of life, caring for the person in need reaching out to another and so experiencing the love of God flowing through you to someone else. Care for your neighbor and you will shine like stars in the universe. But Jesus taught us one other dimension of care. 
that turns up the lumens many times more. It's when you care for the person who doesn't care for you. When, the, when you love the person who doesn't love you, when you're willing to love more than they are, it is care for the outsider, the person outside the gospel, the person outside the doors. The apostle said, look, live your life with an eye to the outsiders. Make sure that the outsiders see that you care for them and that you love Christ and love one another. It's important how the outsiders perceive you. And so Jesus said, I want you to love in this particular way. Those who insult you, those who talk badly about you at work, those in the family who have betrayed you, who have stabbed you in the back, those people who have hurt you more deeply than you ever thought you could be hurt, I want you to love them. Love your enemies. And if you will love your enemies and the people who have hurt you and the people who don't love you back, then you will be like your Father in heaven, Jesus said, who lets his rain come down on the just and the unjust. You're going to be like your Father in heaven if you will love the person who's still not loving you back. That kind of love is the kind of love God has expressed toward you. He's loved you and loved you when you were going your own way, doing your own thing, carving your own path and ignoring him. He loved you. And he has always loved you more than you can possibly love him. So if we always have a contingent love, that is, I'll love the people who love me back, Jesus will say to us, What more have you done than the heathen do? The people that don't know me, the outsiders, everybody loves the people that love them. I want you to do something else. I want you to love those people in the culture who don't share your values, who don't see life like you see it. I want you to to love them. I want you to love those people at work who don't have the same priorities and ethics and morality that you do. I want you to love them. And as you love them, you will express the nature of God and his love for them. God has a wonderful task for us. It's a continuing work of the gospel to shine like stars in this universe. You say, well, we live in a, in a tough generation. Well, Paul called his generation corrupt. Did you, did you hear it in the text? Just look back again. This perverse and corrupt generation is what he called that first generation. And maybe that's how you think of the world you're living in. This world is perverse and corrupt. Welcome to the world. 2,000 years later, we can still use the same adjectives the Apostle Paul used. So are we dismayed? Are we giving up? Are we disconcerted? Are we confused that the culture has such different values and priorities than the followers of Jesus Christ? No, we're not confused. What we are determined to do is continue to live out the life of Christ, the love of Christ, the love of one another, of neighbor, and yes, of our enemy in in order that the world might know the nature of the one true God who made them and sent his son to save them. God's at work in you. He is doing his good purpose in you. 
He intends to carry this all the way to your last breath. He began this good work in you, and he's going to complete it. And you are shining like stars, sisters. You shine like a star, brother. You're holding forth the word of life. You're holding firmly to the word of life as you care for the stranger, the enemy, the neighbor, and one another as an expression of your love of God who rescued you. I've been preaching on the woman at the well. I've really enjoyed it. Jesus reached out to her with such a powerful love. He drew her into the circle of his love. He wants to do the same with you. He wants to draw you into the circle of his love. You say, well, I don't have much faith. It doesn't take a bunch. It doesn't take a bunch of faith. All you have to do is have a little seed of faith. Be willing to say, Lord, I'm talking to you now. I know I'm a sinner. Everybody in the room knows that. Please forgive me for my sin. I want you in my life. I open my heart as best I know how, and I invite you in. What a new life it will be, walking with Jesus. Let's bow together. Lord, I pray for that woman, that man, that young person who is just on the edge of trusting you. Lord, I pray today they will open their heart to you. God, by your grace, that you will draw them to yourself like you drew that woman of Samaria. Lord, I pray for we who know the gospel and live it out in this city day by day and week by week. God, I pray that you will help us see ourselves the way you see us. Help us make sure that we have the light on in our life, that your love is shining through. God, I pray that you will deepen our love for one another. Lord, enable us to love each other more than we ever have before in this body of believers, in our small groups, in our friendship circles. God, strengthen the bond of love. Lord, help us to love that neighbor who needs us. Help us to bring the practical word to them of the gospel incarnate in hands and feet and care. Lord, I pray that you will show us how to love the people unlike us, standing in opposition to us and different from us. That we might carry the good news to them as well and love them with this passionate love that you love them with. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.